This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got? Well, today we're going to be looking at some of the unsolved mysteries that have, that people are still trying to figure out what happened. Some of them actually have been solved, so I guess they're not unsolved anymore. But we're looking at some of the unsolved mysteries from the Second World War, from World War II. Yep. Wasn't there a TV and, show called Unsolved Mysteries of World War II at one point? I'm sure there might have been. I know there's unsolved yeah. mysteries, right? Yeah. So yeah we're, we're, today we're looking at just ones that happened during World War II, so basically 1939 to 1945. Yep. Um, and it's one of those things that there's um, some, there's been movies made about some of these that we'll be talking about. Um, there's obviously video games based off a lot of these. A lot of them are strictly myths. A lot of them are just like someone found something somewhere, like found a document somewhere. Now, what, what does this document pertain to? And it yeah. goes from there. Um, some of them they know are true as far as like they're been able to prove that there's some sort of mystery there. They're still trying to figure out. A lot of them are missing people that just kind of disappeared, right? Or what really happened to yeah. these people who betrayed certain individuals. Um, it's, it's a big one on here. So it's just a lot of stuff. This is a lot of stuff. Like really a lot more than I thought. Yeah, me I mean, too. When I started doing this research and there was constant, you know, at all the websites and all the books that I found had different ones. Like, like these are the top 25. These are the top 30. And they yeah. literally, there wasn't a lot of repeat. So there's a lot of stuff on here. There's no way we're going to get to them all in what we talk about today. Um, but there's just, there's a ton there. You know, we're not going to go in too much depth about either one, either each one of these, but we're going yeah. to basically create some form of like a survey as to what happened and what are yeah, some supplements. This is a couple that people really want. They want to, you know, know more about. We'll take it yeah, you could always Google it. Yeah. Oh, we could make another podcast just on that. Another podcast just, just on one. Yeah. Who, who knows? All right. So I have a cold today. So, you know, like my nose is completely stuffy. So I'm talking with my nose. Toughing it out, Pete. Tough it out. I'm going to tough it out. For this podcast, I got this. Yeah. All right, so okay. let's get started. Um, I, I mean, I want to start with the Battle of Los Angeles, which I thought okay. was kind of interesting. This is February 25th, 1942, so it's only a couple months after Pearl Harbor. So you could kind of see why people in, specifically in the Pacific, in California, would be a little weary as to, like, are the Japanese going to attack this coast as well? Well, in February 25th, 1942, uh, what essentially happens is... Military personnel, as well as civilians, start seeing these the something in the sky, basically. like Almost they think it's like an airstrike coming towards them off the coast. And there's multiple sightings of this. So the entire night just lights up with searchlights that sweep across the sky. And people are basically here to sirens. People are hiding. They're going and you know, blacking out their homes. And there's really a fear like there's something, an airstrike of some kind coming from the Japanese forces. And then the fears actually kind of they get confirmed because you hear anti-aircraft guns start going off at like 3 a.m. in Santa Monica. So you're actually hearing guns going off. So there is definitely the potential of, oh, no, we are being bombed by the Japanese. Troops were ordered to fire basically at this floating objects in the sky. They call it the Battle of Los Angeles because five people actually died as a result of this. But the three other people died from car accidents and two additional people died from having a heart attack. Yeah, because it's so, the nerves are so much. And yeah. Like you said, they fired 1,400 artillery shells. Then yep. they never found if they hit anything or not. But if something was up there, something you know yep. like, was probably hit. But they um, they fired so much, so many things at it. But people were just yeah flipping out. It's almost kind of like a world of worlds, right? They get all nervous. Yep. Whether exactly. there was something they, but they didn't wasn't sure if it was like a, a Japanese plane or a lot of people later on say no, it had to be a UFO 
or something like that. Or, yeah. but I know in well, 49, yeah. yeah, it's still not explained. In 49, they said it was a weather balloon. Yeah. And then in 1983, the um, Navy said it was just um, war, war nurse. Because like you said, yeah. it was just a few months after Pearl Harbor. They were just worried about something happening. And that's really what it was. That's what they, the Navy officially says it was. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But, and I think it's interesting how they always try to like say, oh, that's just a weather balloon. <laughs> yeah, that, of, that does pop up a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and it's interesting because you were saying how much they, how many different things they fired. Actually, they damaged buildings because some of the artillery shells did not detonate in the air. So they just literally fell down and they detonated on them buildings in LA. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, so unexplained to this day, we don't really know what happened uh, with the Battle of LA. What do you got? What's another one you got? Like I said, there's so many out there. Um, one that I saw was the um, the swastika in the trees. That one was I mean, cool. Uh, well, like, not cool, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it was basically, um, it was discovered actually, what, in 92, right? By an yep. intern for a landscaping company. He was approaching, approached his boss with a photograph from Brandenburg. And he'd been working on these, um, basically searching aerial photos for irrigation lines and wooden areas where he discovered basically in this densely wooded pine forest, a group of about 140 um, lurch trees and they were colored, they changed color in the autumn. So their needles fell off. And in the summer they were um, in this, you couldn't tell, they looked just like normal pines unless you like, kind of like uh, yeah. you know, good at this. And you need an aerial they, shot to see it. You um, need an aerial shot to see it. Uh, but basically he noticed they were planting a pattern which could only be visible for a few weeks every year from the air. And the pattern was a swastika. And yeah. the size of the tree said that they had been there for some time. Like these were not like small trees. 1930s. Trees they dated them back. To yeah, so, they, they, so obviously they back to 1930s. So for 60 years, this vivid yellow swastika appeared every autumn, all right, in Germany, um, undetected throughout the Soviet occupation, yep. throughout the domination of, you know, the East German government, the communist East German government during the Cold War. And the question was, why were they planted and by who? And they're still trying to figure that out. So the news have kind of spread and um, arose over the plantings throughout Germany. And um, yeah, so that's, it's like, who, who, who did this? Like, why was it there? And it was a complete farce of this. And there's been, they actually found this in other places too. Um, that they found these large swastika trees, basically, you know, planted in these swastikas all throughout parts of um, Germany. Crazy. It's crazy and that no one noticed it for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah, Especially it was time. like East Germany at the time. If you, you know, weren't going to the sky, if you yeah. didn't know what to look for. And you, if you weren't, if it would only be during that time of year too. Yep. And they said they're pretty much at random locations. Like there's no real reason why they're there. Nuts. So I don't know. Just well, someone those, was like, a little fanatic there. I mean, to say the well, least. It's Nazi Germany. There's going to be fanatics. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of like the definition of what they are. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. The Lady Be Good crew. So this is uh, it was a 1943 disappearance of a B-24D Liberator aircraft. It was, the name of the aircraft was Lady Be Good. And it had a nine-man crew on board. And they were coming back from a Libyan airfield. It was April 5th. 1943 but it never actually made it and its entire crew was presumed lost apparently in the mediterranean sea that was the idea well 15 years later the mystery supposedly is solved but the exact details of the story kind of remain obscure to this day so scouts for an engineering company cite the plane's wreckage in may 1948 in a desert far south of the coastal airfield though no remains were found on the plane but it still had fresh water and a working radio so it's like why would they abandon that right then later evidence found in the 60s um, actually found they found some remains of these men and they showed that the crew had parachuted out of the plane about 60 miles before the plane crash landed. So 
they're like, why would they parachute 60 miles? And how would the plane go by itself for 60 miles? Then the idea is like, well, maybe they actually didn't parachute out. Maybe they got just lost over this, you know, desert and this plane went out of fuel and they simply just kept on walking. But even the fact that they walked, some of the remains were found hundreds of miles away from this wreckage, including one of the remains had like a heartbreaking diary that was recovered. It was of one particular second lieutenant. And to this day, we don't really know how they managed to get as far as they did before collapsing and what actually happened to that plane. So the plane is found, the men are found spread out over hundreds of miles and no one knows how they got there to this day. There's a lot of these actually, you notice a lot of them deal with planes. Oh yeah. Well, there were so many planes going on actually. So not really one. Well, I, one I did see popping up a lot is uh, the idea of Foo Fighters, right? Not the yep. band. That's basically what they were called UFOs back then, right? Foo Fighters. Yep. And you see a lot of those. Yeah. They, they're popping up and then planes disappear shortly after, you know, being exposed to a foo fighter you gotta understand too it's world war ii there were a lot of new weapons so a lot of these foo fighters could have been like the messersmith right and stuff like that the comet those different things those different jet and rocket powered planes that the germans come out especially later on in the war but it's also they're experimenting with new things and it's also who else has got who knows what else is flying around up there yeah so that was something that you see a lot in a lot of these planes just disappear because really a lot of this probably can be attributed to probably pilot error right weather conditions mm -hmm. flying off course especially if you're flying over like water it's kind of hard to find your marker sometimes but yeah, there's a whole bunch of these just planes that disappear. Um, one of the ones that I saw though that I thought was interesting, I never heard of this before actually, was there was a list of 17 British soldiers that were discovered at Auschwitz. I saw that. Yep. Yeah, so it was a list that contains the names of 17 British soldiers, and the list was found during excavations actually in 2009. So pretty recently is when this took place, six decades after you know the war ended. Question they don't know why became, they were there, right? Yeah, who were these soldiers on the list? If it was unclear if they were former prisoners of war, if they were a lot of people thought they were maybe defectors to the yep. to the uh, to the SS. Yeah. Um, they had different surnames like Gardner, Lawrence, Osborne, and um, eight of the names had like these little like tick marks next to it. So I'm not sure like what that meant. But a lot of them feel like they were. It was um, indicated that they were executed along with other British soldiers. Others don't agree with that. But it contained a lot of um, German words next to them too, such as never, now, and since then. Um, so. A lot, a lot of people start believing these soldiers were members of a British SS division that the Nazis actually started during the war. And it, they never be able to prove like a definitive answer, but the list was um, secretly hidden away um, after this. So a lot of people suggested it wasn't, um, I mean, it was hidden away. So a lot of people said it probably wasn't meant to be found. Like probably very, very quickly they hid it. But they had the, big, the big theory that I saw with this, I did a little more research on, is that it was probably, possibly a British like double spy, you know, they were um, spies for the Nazis, a British mm -hmm. SS unit. And then, you know, they probably got caught or they were, to, they were turned to be double spies. You know, they were helping the British and they got caught and then that's what happened. And they, and they shipped were, them to uh, Auschwitz. They were shipped mm -hmm. them to Auschwitz as kind of like punishment for doing what they did, for betraying. Nuts. This one, you know, and it's funny because I keep on going back to planes, I feel like, but did you see the one about Pearl Harbor's ghost plane? The ghost for them, yeah, the pilot, uh, pilot. Yeah, yeah, plane, pilot, right? yeah, exactly. So it's really, it shouldn't be called a ghost plane, but it should be ghost pilot. But so this happens on December 8th. It was a year after Pearl Harbor. This oh, happened that was, was 42. Yeah, it was 42. Yes. A naval radar spots a single plane that's on course from Japan. So everyone kind of quickly scrambles, right, to, to actually scramble two planes to in intercept this newcomer. Another so way, these yeah. two Navy pilots, right, report seeing a P-40 fighter, an American craft, that's basically destroyed, riddled with bullet holes, ruined landing gear, and the pilot, they see the pilot inside, and he's waving at them, but he's covered in fresh blood. So they're like, they wave back at this pilot, and the, the plane 
passes them and it winds up crashing on like a on land very soon thereafter. So the Navy and everybody else rushes into inspect the wreckage and there was absolutely no evidence of the pilot. So they had no idea where the plane came from, who the pilot was, and most importantly, they don't know what happened to this pilot. Some people later claimed that this was a fictional account, but the two pilots that were there that saw this plane, that went to intercept this plane, and clearly whoever saw it on radar, right? Why would they be up there? Said, no, that was definitely a pilot. You just don't know what happened to him. And they're saying, what's going on here? And that's why a lot of them saying, how did this person manage to like survive wherever he did for sense. a year? Oh yeah, that's kind of freaky, right? Yeah, so that because like you said, it was a diary inside the plane that claimed the plane had flown from um, Mediaro Island, which is actually thirteen hundred miles away in the Pacific. In the Pacific, so the mystery was like, how did this pilot crash on land after the Pearl Harbor? Like, did he crash there and then somehow got back? Like, Instead of one year, plane. how would that happen? Yeah, yeah they, he you know survived Weird. the island, fixed the plane, flew back. Like, it's, it doesn't make any sense. No. And um, so it was one of those things that's unanswered. And a lot of people say, like you said, it was maybe fictional, maybe it didn't happen at all. Maybe the pilots were just seeing things, but uh, that was that was a freaky one. Yeah, especially yeah. because they say they saw the guy and they suddenly didn't. Did you see the one about the uh, German ha- uh, forces having like an Arctic outpost, the North Pole outpost? Yeah, like they they called it the the treasure hunter. It was like 620 miles from the North Pole. And what's really fishy about this one is because it was apparently strategically situated where it was near the North Pole and like this little island to interfere with Allied transports that moved troops and supplies through the Arctic. But Nazis justified it as basically a valuable weather station to collect weather data. But it's abandoned in 1944, apparently because the Germans that were stationed there wound up eating raw polar bear meat. I don't know if you saw that. And they all got sick. Yep. So a U-boat came in and got them out of there. However, what's interesting is that the whole time we were there to collect data on weather. But when they left, that's when the weather was the most important for them because they needed to know the weather in Soviet Russia while they were attacking. So they're like, well... Why would you leave during an offensive where you actually really need to know the weather? So then people started thinking like, well, why else would they be there? Some people say that Nazis were obsessed with obviously the occult and, you know, things out of this world. So mystical Nordic past uh, that try to yeah, legitimize yeah. the regime. Trying to, to prove day. that Aaron superiority, right? That's yep. one of the things that they're trying to do. And yeah, so it kind of goes, I mean, I'm not trying to throw my Marvel affection in here you right like, if, you ever, if you ever see like the first uh, captain america movie that's what they're kind of doing right they're looking for norse mythology or they're talking about it when they're looking for the cosmic cube that's the thing that red skull and the nazis are looking for so i mean it, it ties in with that right it kind of yeah. ties in with the idea they're trying to look for these artifacts i don't know if they're trying to look for arms that are like magic powers but also trying to look for ones that can kind of prove that they're racial superiority that's something else that they're looking at yeah it was kind of fishy how why the nazis would have like a you know North Pole solar well, base or secret they Also, base. maybe they're trying to see if they're on Santa's naughty or nice list. I don't know. <laughs> but that's also, that, <laughs> I that's a that joke right question. there. I saw that the papers, the documents, because of the cold, were like perfectly preserved when the Soviets went there in like the 90s or not in the 80s, I think, right? Or something like that. Yep. They actually went, went to this base. So let's see what the Nazis were doing here. And they're like, well, all these documents are still like perfectly preserved. Actually, where they find some of it, but again, they're not really sure exactly why their Germans were there. And they weren't just there for weather. There was other ways they could get the weather, yeah. but then having to be having to be there. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of golden treasure. You want to get to a couple of these gold? Yeah. So treasure? one of them I thought was really interesting was I popped up a couple of times was the um, Field Marshal Erwin Rommel's hidden treasure. Mm-hmm. You probably saw this. So a lot of this um, treasures from the. World War II, some of it has been found. 
a lot of it has to remember the Nazis, when they take over countries, they just pillaged it and took a lot of the gold, silver, not just that stuff, but also just like the artwork. So uh, Rommel's a high profile general. He was dedicated to the Nazi state. And he was worried that a lot of the um, treasures would be lost. So he was alleged to have given four um, special um, SS divers, right? Um, large mm -hmm. steel ammunition crates that contain all these German treasures, jewels, gems, artwork, gold. And it was included about, about 4,401 pounds of gold. And he take, took them to be buried somewhere under the, under the sea. No one knows the exact whereabouts. Some people think it could be somewhere off of um, Corsica's eastern coast. Um, but they believe it's probably worth over 20 million um, British pounds. And they know it exists because they claim they discovered a photo um, of a German soldier with his parents kind of uh, had a coat on the back. And they think that might lead him to the treasure. But they also hear a lot of like people talking about it, too. It's something that a lot of the, um, particularly if they served with Rommel, they kind of knew about this treasure. But no one knows exactly where it could be. Hmm. Interesting, because when I was doing it, like I actually started the same thing as you. Like there's so much about this stuff. Once I got into the Nazi train, you know, gold train, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah you start realizing there's so many different high-ranking officials that supposedly hid the treasure. One of them was in Japan. I, this is the first time I saw this when I started researching it. It was a World War II Japanese general, um, Tamayoki Yamashita, and apparently he buried treasure somewhere in the Philippines while the Japanese were occupying the Philippines. And then he's eventually executed by American forces in 1946. And from that point forward, any like hope of trying to figure out what this treasure, obviously is buried, no one knows. But, and even to this day, people don't really know if the treasure is real. However, many people since 40s sort of searching for Yamashita's gold in the Philippines. And apparently, um, there was one guy in 1988, actually there was a court case that was brought against the former Philippines president, um, Ferdinand Marcos, by one Rogelio Roxas. Roxas claimed that he found part of this treasure that was buried in World War II. The president kind of promptly you know, swooped in and seized a portion of that treasure and stole it. So the court finds it in, you know, finds it in the favor actually of Roxas and says, "No, you're right. You did find some treasure." And in 1996, he gets the money back that he found. Also, interestingly enough, when the treasure is given back to him, it's actually given back to his family in '96 because. The Roxas guy died in 1993, and people believe that he might have been killed by the government in the Philippines because he really was or had discovered this treasure that the government took all for themselves. And like you said, it's a ton of these Nazi gold stories out there. I mean, there's movie, you know, movies about this too. Indiana Jones, isn't that kind of dealing with some yep. of this stuff too? Yep, yep. You're an Indiana Jones guy. So stuff like that. So are you. We're both Indiana Jones. How can he not be an Indiana Jones guy? Uh, Come on. Because he hides in a fridge from a nuclear blast. That's why. All right, listen. That's one. That one doesn't count. <laughs> that one's. <laughs> that one was. Uh, this is a new generation Indiana Jones. He, we'll um, so let's talk about the Nazi gold train because this one. This was, I feel like, the granddaddy of all the Nazi treasures. The treasures, yeah. Because you're still these people are like, people are looking for all these treasures actively. Let's, let's governments are like, looking for these. Governments, yeah. they're looking for this stuff. They are literally looking for it. They are spending money. There are private companies, governments, they are trying to find this treasure. So people believe it. Like they know yeah. they know like the treasure did exist. What happened to it? That's what they're trying to find. Well, the, the Nazi gold train, you know, it's almost become a legend, obviously, but oh, yeah. it was loaded with Russian and Polish art currency, uh, just gold, period, on this train. And it's supposed that the train was actually concealed in this like underground complex. That was built by forced labor, obviously, right? POWs. According to some witnesses, this train also like contained some form of operational prototypes of weapons that were supposed to save Germany in the last you know months of the war. Anyway, the train is concealed 
by the retreating Germans. And apparently it's concealed in this tunnel that comes under Soviet control and eventually becomes Poland at the end of World War II. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. So for years, actually to this day, Polish scientists, historians try to locate this thing like in vain. And allegedly they found they were able to scan the ground and they were able to find a, a train near Polish city of Wabrzych, um, which used to be a German city. Supposedly there's like 300 tons of gold and weapons on this train, right? So the Polish government sponsors the search because of these scientists that are like, yeah, we found it. And then they pay for this expeditions. And the Poles have, you know, con- keep on conducting this. In 2016, they even hire a German mining company um, that says that they also identified the train in the same spot. But to this day, well, they have not found, or perhaps they have. There's somebody else now that said, I just saw this in the news, that said that I know exactly where the train is, but unless I'm allowed to keep the loot, I'm not telling anybody where it is. Yeah, I've seen that one too. And they may actually made a lot of these like partially completed tunnels. I believe too, like these unfinished tunnels in something called Project Rise, which is basically a um, kind of this coding for the construction project of this. It consists of a bunch of these underground tunnels. That's why they, by out on the Owl Mountains, I yep. guess that's some place right by uh, in Poland. You would know more yep. than I do about that. But um, yeah, they believe that these things were all. They know some of them exist. And they believe there's other ones in there too, and that's where some of these trains could be. We have like artwork, and they actually did find that in some artwork that they believe was originally in this train, but somewhere else now. Um, bunch of artwork found behind a um, 16th century wall paintings hidden behind plaster walls while doing um, renovation work in an old palace near mm-hmm. Shruga. Did I, did I say that correctly? The village of Shruga? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So, did you so notice that um, Polish isn't as polished as yours? But, well, um, well you have sure. Polish. Um, but <laughs> what's go. interesting here, just looking at this Nazi gold train thing, is that there's supposedly witnesses that saw this train being loaded. Um, so there is some credibility to the fact that this train does exist. It just disappeared. No one knows where it went. But apparently, it, you know, it was or it did exist at some point or another. And another thing that's like gone in this one kind of comes up a lot as well. Um, I'm sure you saw this. The Amber the, Room. The Russian Amber Room, right? Yeah, that one comes up a lot. So it was an actual room right inside the Catherine House. So it was a royal palace in Russia. Um, previously, previous to that, it was the St. Petersburg Winter House. And before that, it was Prussia's palace. Um, so it was a gift from the Prussian king to Frederick William, um, rather Prussian King Frederick William I to Peter the Great in 1716. And then what ultimately was, it was, it was an, I mean, it's, it's in the name, Amber Room was constructed out of tons of amber panels that were backed with gold. Apparently, this thing's worth millions, if not billions of dollars. Um and the later renovations kind of made it even more wealthy than it really is. And there's there's images of this, so like we kind of see it. Plus, we can see it now because the yeah. Russians rebuild it, right? But in Nazi Germany um, invades Russia, and then 1941, 
um, this chamber disappears basically, right? They said so, they think the Germans were, um, the Russians tried to like hide it, right? Underneath like wallpaper and stuff. That's what I did. And the Germans the found Germans, it. So the Germans, yeah, they found it pretty easily. Yeah. No, apparently they're like this, yeah, disassembled the, then they disassembled the room and they brought it to like a they castle apart, in Germany because yeah. they wanted to display it. And then all of a sudden this castle supposedly gets bombed by the allies, but we still don't know whether it was destroyed in that castle because supposedly someone actually took it apart again and they were moving it. Um, so there's some opinions that maybe it's at the bottom of the Baltic Sea because the steamer that was carrying it sank in like 1945. But then like one panel of it came out, like a private collector had it in 1990, I think. Did you see that? And that's when they were like, hmm, that means that someone definitely jacked this thing at the end of the war and it does exist somewhere. But we only knew of the one panel. Well, there the is Russian... a miniature Amber Room, right? Yeah. Like a miniature one on display in uh, Berlin. So yeah, have there and they have a replica. There is a replica one. The real one is in, in Russia. Russia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we don't really know what the room is. They apparently was put back into crates and it disappeared. We don't know where it is, and it's worth like billions of dollars. But the Russians essentially build their own amber room. They recreated it. It took them twenty four years to complete it. It was finally completed in two thousand three, um, and they build it obviously back in Saint Petersburg, which they say it really is the rightful and proper home for it. But the original, gone. No one knows. And the fact that it like came up on an auction, a piece of it, a panel, someone stole that thing. You know. Yeah, they stole it or really get it and yeah. found it at some point. Oh, it's probably in some like rich billionaires. Yeah, basement some dude's somewhere. got it. Yeah. Some dude's got yeah, it. A lot, of, a lot of this missing treasure or missing thing, that's probably where they are. Like you see the one about Hitler's globe. There was something about Hitler's globe that kept on Yeah, he, up. apparently you're like, well, that was made popular by um, Charlie Chaplin, right? Because he had this humongous Chaplin, globe yeah. in the movie. But that was real. So Hitler had this humongous globe. Supposedly we knew exactly where it was. And by the time that the U.S. forces got into that area, the globe went missing. And they don't know what happened to the globe. Yeah, some someone took it and they have it in like the private collection yeah. somewhere. Well, that's like Hitler paintings. Like, how, I mean, there's people that there's people that buy Hitler's paintings. I feel like we talked about that when we did the Hitler um the last you know days of Hitler. But when I tell my students, they're like, really? Like, there's actually paintings of Hitler. I'm like, yeah. If you Google it, you could actually see Hitler's paintings. Like, it's it's kind of eerie almost. By almost, I mean it. It's eerie and weird. But. Oh, All right. People like those like macabre type of things, I guess. Yeah, I guess, right? Herman Goering, he died okay. from cyanide. Do you see that one? Yeah, but the, the question is, they know he died from cyanide. The question is how he got the cyanide. Yeah, because he was already in a United right. States prison. Um, he so he's the Nazi party leader of Luftwaffe. Herman Goering, um, he's like the you know one of the top Nazis. If you ever see, if you ever watch the old footage, he's like the fat Nazi. You'll you'll, you'll see him all the time. Like you'll, that's how you can probably make him out. And he was kind of very like, well, I was just a soldier. And they're like, no, dude, you were a high ranking person given the actual orders. Requested to be shot shot by firing squad instead of being hanged. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to kill you exactly how you don't want to be killed. So they were going to hang him. And then the night before he commits suicide with a cyanide capsule. And then they're like, hmm, how did this capsule get in there? There's some information here because apparently in 2005, there was a former U.S. military policeman um, that was actually the guard, Goering, and he claimed that he smuggled the poison in and apparently smuggled it in a fountain pen because he received it from some girl he had met that like became his girlfriend overnight. And this, this girl said, listen, you need to bring this. There's a pill inside this pen and it's medicine that Goering really needs. Um, so 
he's like, all right, fine. I guess he was in love with this girl. But he brings the pen, obviously, inside to sign on capsule. He kills himself. But this girl is never seen again. So, to you know, the U.S. military policeman said he never saw her again. Again, we don't know yeah, if that's a lot the true of, story um, or not. We don't know if he's telling the truth. Yeah, a lot of historians dismiss that. Yeah. Um, but being, they said like they, they, the army did kind of investigate it. But they kind of were like, you know what? He's dead. We don't really care. Yep. Like, that's the thing. They were like, dead, they yeah, really as long care. as he's dead, he's dead. Right. Yeah, like, all right, he, he kind of escaped justice or whatever they want to call it, the, their punishment, but he was dead, so they really didn't care as much. It was kind of like, on to the next guy. There were so many other ones that were being, you know... We'll talk about German people. German trials, yeah. Yeah, how about Rudolf Hess flying to Scotland thinking, like, he was going to be a savior? That was odd, right? Yes. Um, yeah, Rudolf Hess, yeah. deputy Fuhrer when Hitler received his appointment as, as Reich Chancellor. This guy's like a top Nazi. And essentially what he does is he steals a plane right in like a one single plane um single seater plane in may 1941 flies this messerschmitt to the uk bails out over scotland he lands and then you know on some dude's farm and he says he's somebody else and dude's like yeah no you 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 have an accent you're definitely not a british dude um plus you just kind of jumped out of a german plane so he is arrested and apparently he came to Scotland or to England to negotiate, right? A separate peace with the British. Um, and he thought they were going to like, you know, bring him in and, and treat him well. However, they basically said, oh, we have a top Nazi here. Great. And they threw him in jail. Um, and he was like surprised by this, that he was imprisoned. And then he was briefly held in the Tower of London. I saw that um, they didn't really charge him with any crime, but apparently he kind of went crazy based on what I saw. He tried to commit well, suicide. Yeah, but they think he might have... Yeah, they think he might have been um, pretending to have amnesia or other mental disorders. And he was basically held there for, um, well, he was eventually sentenced to life imprisonment. Yeah, well, he, yeah. yeah, it's in 1987 where he killed himself. He died at, he committed suicide at the age of 93. Uh, but a lot of people, his lawyer said he would listen, he was too frail to commit suicide. So they I think that. that maybe someone killed him. But the real question was why he decided to fly to Scotland. And it was yep. a lot of people that were, but he think, a lot of people think he was trying to um, negotiate a peace with the with the British. Because he wanted to avoid a two-front war, what was going on? He remained in custody for four decades, and really, there's no real answer, or forthcoming answer on why he went there. There was a lot of conspiracies that he thought maybe, or maybe there was someone that told him in the um, royal family, right? Come here, we can negotiate something. Because there were, there's always the rumors that there were some Nazi sympathizers and stuff like that in those areas. That's, I think, one of the biggest mysteries of World War II is how did all these Nazis escape? You know, and a lot of them escaped well, from Argentina. Help. Yeah. 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 There's did you see the one that like the U-boat and they're like, okay, this U-boat's fishy. Where was it? It probably had Hitler, the U530. Yeah, U530, that's the one that I saw popping up quite a bit. Yeah. What was in yeah. it? They think or Hitler or someone, someone made. Someone big. Someone big. Yeah. Yeah. Um it went to so Argentina it two months after the war, yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of fishy things with this one, right? So basically Germany surrenders to the Allies in May nineteen forty five, right? And uh, this Admiral Donitz um, served as the head of the Navy as well as the head of state, right? And right president ordered all U- the entire U-boat fleet to surrender immediately to Allied ships. Now, U-530 was at sea, um, so it received the message they were supposed to surrender right away. But they kind of disappear for two months. And then on July 10th, 1945, this U-530 arrives at uh, Mar del Plata in Argentina, um, the commander surrendered his command to the Argentine Navy. But what's interesting is that normally the voyage, regardless where they were in Europe, it would have normally taken two weeks, but it, they were gone for two months. 
So they're like, all right, what's the delay? Like, where where, where were you? And also, the fact that they surrendered at this particular port as opposed to the port that all other U-boats surrendered at, that was also fishy. What else was there? There was a couple of things, right? That was that were kind of out here. Well, all, there was no info given, right? All of the IDs were destroyed. Yep. The um, they, they said they were transporting Nazis. Like, they knew yep. that's what was happening. But all those documents I talked about that were also destroyed. So there was no passenger log. And everyone on it was being were basically not saying anything. So there was it just there was like why did it go to this port? Why is there no all of the ships had like a manifesto, you know, this thing right where they were all this time, the the names of everybody on board. This this boat did not have any of that. And yep. like, that's not how these things are run. That's not how the military, particularly the Nazi military, ran at the time. So yeah. when you were just gone for two months, what were you doing that two months? They were just like we were at, at sea. Like, no, you weren't. Like there's that's not how it works. And you, know? you see the Argentine reporter that apparently wrote for Buenos Aires shortly thereafter. Um, there was a reporter that saw the boat dock, and he says that there was a, a man that disembarked that was dressed like a high-ranking officer, um, or at least a civilian. It was someone that got off that boat that everyone was kind of looking up to. And obviously, that kind of fueled some rumors that it might have been Adolf Hitler, but it, that's kind of the premise of that show, right? Hunting Hitler. Yeah, hunting Hitler, fighting all the time, finding Hitler shows we've talked about if he escaped yeah. or not. You gotta remember, he was in bad health anyway. I mean, that yeah, no, I doubt this so was Hitler. Sure. It might have been somebody else, but like, well, that's why that's why they don't know what happened to Mueller. Definitely... Heinrich Mueller, yeah. right? Yeah. No one ever found him. Yeah. Um, that's one of those mysteries of of World War Two. That all these Nazis escaped, like you said, yeah. Yeah. So Heinrich Mueller, based on what I was looking at, it again, top one of the top Nazis. Um, he was the head of the Gestapo, so you know the secret police, and the last time he's seen is in Hitler's bunker, like on the evening of May 1st, 1945, right? So he spoke with Hitler's former pilot of his intention not to be taken to Russia by the Russians. Like, I'm not going to be taken. And then he just disappears. No one really knows what happened. He's now found amongst the uh, numerous bodies found in the bunker. He was also so known, you know, as the head of the Gestapo, Mueller, that people knew what he looked like. So there's a lot of conspiracy buffs. So like, all right, if he died in this assault in Berlin, where is his body? Like, why was it never found or identified? They, they think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, again, potentially maybe he was on that boat or for all we know. And if not, he might have been on another boat because they never found him. There's no proof whatsoever that the head of the Gestapo ever died or what might have happened. to him. Yeah, there's a couple that say he might be um, buried in a mass grave, actually in a Jewish cemetery, believe it or not, because there was a um, guard who said he burned a body that matched his matched the description of Mueller's face that he died in Berlin, you know, with the bombings and stuff like that. But there's no way to actually know that for a fact. And they said if if he was a, if there was a chance of getting DNA, they wouldn't be able to be able to get DNA from a uh, mass grave, too much contamination and stuff like that. Yeah. So it is all rumors that he was spotted in Cuba, Argentina, but no one's ever been able to prove anything. So he's just, he, he's dead now. They just don't know where he is. And Argentina had a lot of like little German villages, especially in the 40s and 50s. So I mean, it's possible he might have hit there. We don't know. Hence, you know, it's on this podcast. Well, let's just, I guess we should be coming to an end a little bit. But one I saw did pop up on all of them. A lot of times one of the number ones, which, again, this story itself could be a podcast, but was the um, Who Betrayed Anne Frank. Yep, I saw that one. And this is is one that actually has a little bit more. um, You heard a bit more about it recently, too. Um, They don't really know who basically, you know, turned her in. There's always been rumors on who did. Wasn't there a phone call? I think it was like a... There was, well, there's been rumors. There was a phone call that was a, that it was a burglar, but a lot of some of the newer ones now are saying that um, 
it might have been one of the business partners of um of Otto Frank, hmm. the father. Um, that like he was because he was he's always asked where the family was, where the family was, and stuff like that, and you know look over at the um bookcase. Some other ones said some of the people that were helping them bring them food might have got captured by the Nazis and kind of helped out, but there are plenty of theories. I was a friend of Otto's Frank from several years before the war. They went to hiding. They talk about that he could have he came forward saying that his father was the one that betrayed the family. Who knows, right? One is that they yeah. that if you watch the movie or read the diary, they talk about like a burglar broken in that maybe the burglar got caught by the Nazis at some other point and said, "Listen, I heard footsteps coming from behind this annex in this house there. You know, let me go. It could be people in there and stuff like that." Some talk about a possible um, someone named of um, Lena Hartog von Bladen, which is actually the, the, uh, the cleaning lady and wife of one of the warehouse employees. And she testified um, knowing that there were um, Jewish people hiding, hidden in some of her employer's property. So they're saying that maybe she could have been the one to do it. So, But no one really knows who, who betrayed her, basically, yeah, who, betrayed her. Who, who told them that they were hiding there. Because the Nazis were not going to find them if not that. And, you know, they, it's this whole – that whole story is obviously heartbreaking just as whole, not just with the Anne Frank story. Yeah. But that they were so close to the end of the war. Like she writes about D-Day in her diary, you know. That's... And she dies shortly yeah. afterwards at Auschwitz, shortly after that. Like her, her, you know, father. See, we read that in, in middle school. Did you, I mean, my son is finishing eighth grade, and he, they never read that. Did you guys read it in middle school? I thought it was in middle um, school. Yeah, right? I believe middle school, high school. I definitely remember it. Yeah, well, it's, it's different now when they teach it. But they, I know they definitely cover in high school the standards. We're talking about New Jersey now. The standards shifted, change when yeah. they talk about that stuff, so they shift a little bit more yeah. towards um, high school. I think they will talk about it. Is you have to mention a Holocaust at all, at some point every. Um, year right, it's part of the man, the mandate. Yeah, they're also um, focus on it a bit um, with genocides. Yep, which is part as of the whole. Yeah, in high school, the mandate. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, as we mentioned before, again, this is just like a nice dipping your toes into the topic as as we usually do. But if anyone is interested in more of these eerie or unsolved mysteries of World War Two, there really are plenty and. Um, you oh, know, yeah. there's a whole bunch that we never talk, talk about. So yeah. don't get mad if we didn't talk about one that you knew exactly. because obviously we're. We can't talk about all of them. I still have papers and papers, papers and papers of ones that we didn't talk about, but so can't be going on a, forever. Yeah, this is a good introduction. So to everybody out there that listens to our podcast, we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. We, you know, it's awesome. And if you uh, if you want to, you know, contact us in any way, shape, or form, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are always here to answer any questions that you might have. So thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. 
and people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.